brought to you by SOCOM Athlete. Send me. Our world is becoming increasingly dangerous as traditional governments are failing and oppressive regimes take their place, spreading chaos and turmoil. Today's warfighter must continue to adapt to unfamiliar environments and technological advancements used by our adversaries in ungoverned areas. It is exactly in these ungoverned areas of the world where Army Special Operations Forces operate and excel, known around the globe as Green Berets. Each Special Forces soldier possesses unique skills and qualifications to maintain a continuous presence overseas, making them the force of choice for any contingency. Green Berets are individually selected and specially trained through the Army's most rigorous selection program. The first step required to embark on this journey is to volunteer and then never quit. Quitting ultimately means mission failure, and then Special Forces mission failure is not an option. A true quiet professional knows that wearing the Green Beret says more about you than you could ever say about yourself. Thanks for tuning in to SOCOM Athletes Podcast, Send Me. This is your host, Jason, and today we have a special episode for you. We're bringing on two Green Berets actively serving at 519 Special Forces Group located in Denver, Colorado. You may have heard the exciting news already that our upcoming Denver Hell Day event on October 22nd is sponsored by 519 Special Forces Group. Attendance to this event is 100% free. So if it's your dream and goal to one day become a U.S. Special Operator, come on out to America's number one Special Operations Prep Course, Hell Day coming to Denver October 22nd. Our two guests on today's episode will be there at the event instructing and mentoring the students. I will also be there in Denver directing the event throughout the course of the weekend. You don't want to miss this one. So if you haven't done so already, get on the SOCOM Athlete website, navigate over to the Hell Day page, and get registered for the Denver Hell Day. Coupon code 519SFG will get you free attendance to the Saturday Hell Day. That's coupon code 519SFG. We are less than three weeks out from the big day and have over 40 students registered for this event already, so don't miss your opportunity. Get registered now. And without further delay, let's bring on our two Green Berets to talk all about one of the military's best-kept secrets, 519 Special Forces Group. Marshall, Adrian, thanks for joining us on the Send Me Podcast. How's everything going out there in Colorado today, gentlemen? Everything's great. Weather's finally cooling off, so uh, we're excited to get into some cold weather training and uh, enjoy the fall a little bit. And as you know, gentlemen, SOCOM Athlete is traveling out to Denver, Colorado this month to partner up with you for our next Hell Day event. What are you hoping to see from this event? Uh, I'm excited for Hell Day, man. I'm excited to uh, see these guys go through just a gauntlet of uh, obstacles and uh, watch them overcome it. And I'm hoping to see character traits and mindset qualities that we're looking for here on the ODAs as well. So best, yeah. of, best of luck to all the guys that are about to, about to go through it. Yeah. You know, I, I can't speak to all your events, but this is definitely going to be a new, a unique one where we're going to have a, a bunch of guys there that these, these candidates might be serving with in the future. So they're going to get, they're going to get some instant feedback from, from the guys they could be serving with. And it's, it's definitely a, a cool opportunity to, to get mentored by, by some of those folks. I'm really excited about it. It's going to be a, a ton of guys, I hope. And, and, uh, you know, just really looking forward to it. Yes, I am excited to get out there. I always enjoy running these events in Colorado. 
You know, Colorado is one of the most beautiful places in the country. How do you guys like living there? It's it's pretty fun. You know, I'm not from here originally. Um, I came out here about 15 years ago um, when I was coming in on active duty. And to me, it felt like it was vacation every day. You know, I'd walk out of my my apartment and it was it was just gorgeous. So obviously I liked it enough that I stayed here because, you know, it's 15 years later and I haven't I haven't left. I love it, man. Uh, I was born and raised here. So the chance to uh, get with a unit that just brought me home, um, it just brought things full circle. There's few states you can live where, you know, uh, sky's the limit with regard to what you want to do, especially if you, you're an outdoors kind of person. If you want to ride horses, hunt, fish, hike, camp, uh, you can do it all here. So as long as you don't mind the altitude, it's a hell of a place to live. There's no place like Colorado. But Adrian, to rewind for a second, I want to get this straight. You grew up in Colorado and now you're stationed in Colorado. Did you get to pick your unit or how does that work? I did. Um, I was born and raised in Colorado and uh, moved away. I lived in South Florida for about 10 years after college. And um, the guard afforded me the opportunity to pretty much pick the unit I wanted to be a part of, but also where I wanted to live. Uh, tried California for a little while. wasn't for me. And so um, got the opportunity to move home and you know work where I grew up. As we get into the podcast, describing a little more about what National Guard Special Forces is and the opportunities that 19th and 20th Group offers. Can you explain to us how, when it comes to National Guard Special Forces, you actually get to pick the unit that you want to join through? Yeah, so that's, like you said, that's one of the great things about the National Guard. Uh, you know, every state is kind of its own little entity. And, you know, the recruiters are, are picking guys up. And if they're coming in on, on an 18 X-ray contract, which I'm, I'm sure we'll speak about later, uh, you know, they, they have that opportunity to, to pick their, their MOS in the SF career field. And they have the opportunity to, to pick what state they go in as well. So if you, if you're a guy that lives like Adrian in Colorado and you want to stay in Colorado, you have that option. If, if you're like some of my other friends who live out East, but they still want to come out to Colorado and drill, you can do that as well. So just overall, lots of flexibility. And this is essentially your permanent duty station, right? Like they're not just going to ship you out somewhere else. Like Colorado is, is your home unit for good. If you make the team there and, and you get stationed there as a green beret, is that correct? That is correct. And, and that was one of the things that, that drew me to, to join the National Guard. I was prior active duty. And, you know, one of the reasons that that I signed up for the Guard after my active duty tour was just the, the op tempo and the possibility of getting moved wherever the Army needed you. So, I mean, for us, that could have been, you know, a variety of different states. And, you know, me wanting to start a family and, and get settled in, you know, I really wanted to stay in one particular spot, but I also wanted to keep my foot in the door for all the, all the national security stuff and, and other operational things. So would you guys mind telling our listeners out there why being a Green Beret and why Special Forces was your career field of choice? Yeah. So, so for me, uh, you know, I, I signed up for the military, you know, a long time ago, you know, it kind of clicked for me, you know, when I was in high school, I was actually in history class when, you know, September 11th happened. So not to go too into the weeds with that, but that was, that was a big resonating thing with me. And, and that's where I started doing some research on, on different jobs in the military and, and the effects that you could have. 
So I actually got turned on to the SF career path by reading a book called Masters of Chaos, which is an awesome book. Um, if you're wanting to get more information on, on SF, what they've done throughout uh, history and then moving into the, the global war on terror. Um, but what, what kind of turned me on to that was this is, this is a unit that's purely focused on getting a mission complete. They're not as much focused on, on some of the, uh, you know, some of the, some of the trimmings of, of other military units, like, you know, drill and ceremony, perfectly, perfectly starched uniforms, that sort of thing. They're most more focused on training for a mission, going out and completing a mission. So that was the original thing that turned me on to it. And I can say after being in SF for, you know, 15 plus years that that has, that has paid off, I guess. You know, we're definitely focused on the mission. There is, there is some of that other stuff in there, but I've seen other conventional units, how they operate and the way that we operate is, is completely different from them. And, and it's, it's a really unique thing that's really only available in, in special forces and other, uh, other tier one type units. Yeah. Um, so my, my path to special operations definitely started different from Marshall's. I knew I wanted to serve for a long time, but uh, after college, a lot of civilian career opportunities opened up. Um, oddly enough, my uh, day job afforded me the opportunity to work with some very high-level special operations units from varying branches. And the moment I got around those guys and I saw what elite teams of quiet professionals were capable of, just just the gravity of of being near those guys pulled me towards serving. But like a lot of people with civilian careers um, who are, you know, professionals in, in other fields, I didn't know there was an option to serve and still maintain what I had invested so much time and energy in on the outside. Uh, that's when I got introduced to the National Guard option for special operations, as well as the lateral and upward mobility um, that's available to guard SF guys. Yeah. So then I decided to chase that pipeline. What do you feel makes special forces unique among other career fields in special operations? I think what makes uh, special forces unique is that unconventional warfare capability, the ability to work by, with, and through partner forces to be force multipliers, to put 12 guys into a country and conceivably have those guys, you know, overthrow an oppressive government and, and carry out national missions you know, using using minimal resources, minimal manning. It's it's something you definitely learn a lot more about as you go through selection and you go through the Q course, just learning the, uh, the, the different capabilities of ODAs. Yeah, it's kind of a jack of all trades type thing. You know, we have we have a wide variety of missions. We're not as as focused as as a unit like the Navy SEALs, the 82nd Airborne, Army Rangers, that type of thing. We have a, a wide variety of things we've got to be proficient in because we're going to be training other countries on those on those types of operations. So just the wide breadth of things available. And like he said, we got to be able to accomplish a mission with minimal resources, minimal supervision, and and really just have to have that maturity to be able to, to handle those sorts of things. Uh, it, that's one of the really unique things that appeals to me about the career path. In being in a foreign country to fight against an oppressive government, that's going to involve working with a partner force. And in order to work together, you've got to be able to communicate with those individuals, right? And, and I would assume that's why the last piece of the special forces selection pipeline process, which is just the Q course, the qualification course has a language requirement. 
Yeah, it's definitely, definitely key. Um, I've seen guys that have high levels of proficiency in the language of a country that we're in and the amount of rapport that they can build with the partner force that we're with is just, you can't even put a, put a number on it. You know, it's just, it's instant rapport. I think Adrian just did something recently where he had language capability with the unit that, that we were working with. And I mean, he can probably speak to what that was able to do. Typically SF guys are assigned a language based off of the area of operations that their unit will primarily be working in. Um, one of the great things about the guard just to, you know, really hit home with that is you never know the kind of opportunities you're going to get to travel to places outside of your typical AO. Uh, I'm a Spanish speaker. And so the opportunity to travel down South and use my language skills to train, build rapport and work with, you know, certain groups uh, was, was an opportunity afforded to me that, you know, you may not have on the active side unless you're assigned to, you know, seventh group. So it was, it was a, it was a great opportunity and definitely uh, hit home with why I wanted to become a Green Beret and have that capability. Yeah, there's a there's a big difference in speaking the language yourself versus speaking through a translator, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's nothing lost through a middleman and uh, there's no confusion or ambiguity about what's being communicated. And then typically those guys kind of accept you as, as almost like one of their brothers at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Gentlemen, would you mind explaining to our listeners out there how an ODA, Operational Detachment Alpha, is comprised of different specialties and how those have a coinciding MOS. Yeah, so it, it, it all starts at the top, right? It's a 12-man element. And the, the 18 Alpha, that's the team leader. You know, he's, he's driving, driving all the stuff on, on the up and out with, with politicking, with, with command. He's making a lot of those command decisions. All the, all the leadership decisions are ultimately resting on him so moving down you've got the 180 alpha and that's the sf warrant officer and they are typically a guy who's he's going to be prior enlisted most of the time he's got years and years of experience and he brings that level that high level of experience and technical expertise to the leadership team on the oda and then moving continuing to move down the the ladder there, you've got your 18 Zulu. He is the E8. He's the operations NCO. And he is doing his best to take care of all the guys on his team, make sure they are trained, make sure that they are in order and ready to execute the team leader's guidance. Um, individual positions on the team after that, you've got your 18 Fox. He's typically a senior guy on the team. It's been around a while, um, one of the prior MLSs, and he is the intelligence sergeant. So what he does is takes all the uh, intelligence that is that is gathered by either the ODA or other outside entities and, and kind of analyzes it, just not to get too far into details. And that just helps with driving the, the ODA's missions from there. Um, the core MOSs are going to be your 18 Bravo, 18 Charlie, 18 Delta, and 18 Echo. Your 18 Bravo, that's your weapons sergeant. Uh, 18 Charlie is your engineer sergeant. 18 Delta is your medical sergeant. And 18 Echo is your communications sergeant. So your Bravo does everything weapons related. He's pretty tactically proficient. Typically, um, like them to be a Ranger School grad. They do a lot of base defense when you're deployed and, and do a lot of the, the range training. Uh, your 18 Charlie can do demolitions, uh, construction, uh, a lot of logistical stuff as well. 
and you know their their course has some interesting stuff in it uh they uh i think i remember one recent guy said that in his course they they built a house and then they blew it up so pretty interesting stuff there uh 18 delta everything medical related they're they're going to be proficient at they go through an extremely long pipeline um which we'll get into but they they need to be able to do a, a huge variety of stuff from your typical combat medic skills to dentistry, to uh, some surgery, to veterinary stuff, uh, you name it, they're gonna they're gonna know how to do something. Um, and then the echoes, they they do all of your communications. So setting up computer networks for within your team room, doing radios. Um, basically, they they gotta you gotta have all that stuff operating if you want to go outside the wire and do a mission. So with a variety of skills like that, you, you've got a. a a dynamic of individuals that are ultimately supporting the same mission. And when it comes to an individual that, that maybe hasn't gone into the military yet, um, I'm sure that there's probably things that, that that individual would be more interested in or would be more talented in. So when it comes to the active duty side of the house, whether you're going air force or, or Navy or, or army special operations, when you finish selection, they are going to, they being the instructor personnel and the course managers, they are going to assign an MOS to the graduates. So maybe somebody who scored a little bit higher academically is going to get an 18 Echo MOS designation. So that would be your comms guy. Uh, but maybe that individual really wanted to be a medic. And, and all they ever wanted to do was operate on people, but, but they still wanted to be a Green Beret. But the Army says, hey, sorry, we want you working radios and, and being a JTAC and, and working comms. So to my understanding, gentlemen, for individuals that try out for your unit, Special Forces, Colorado National Guard, 519 Special Forces Group, if they are successfully picked up, do they get to actually pick their MOS? Yeah, that's that's one hundred percent right, and you know that one. That's a that's a sweet gig, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I was an eighteen X ray on the active duty side, and and that that one hits home for me because I I wanted to be an eighteen Charlie, but they gave me eighteen Echo instead. So, uh, yeah, typically what we do with with our candidates that come through the SFRE process in Colorado is look at what they want to do, and then we'll bounce that off of where our numbers are in the Q course, and. You know, for me, running our training detachment for the past three years, I would say 99 times out of 100, I was able to get that guy what he wanted to do. Um, I find that it's much better to do that for an individual. If they have something that they really want to learn, they are usually more motivated to do it. They're usually more motivated to succeed at selection. When I tell them things like, hey, uh, you know, we really could use some of this other MOS, but if you pass selection, we can give you yours, stuff like that. You know, it, it's definitely a good motivator and it gives them a little more buy-in with, with Colorado and, and it's helped us out with recruiting as well. We are pretty good about working with guys with what they want to do. On the active side, choosing to go to selection might be one of the last choices that you get to make professionally for a while. In the Guard, you can choose your MOS very often. If you are competent enough in a language, you can choose to test out of the Q course with that language, especially if you're, um, you know, if you speak it at a high enough level uh, and then you can finish early or you can go on and pursue a second language if you want to, you know, bring that capability to the team. In addition, once you pass selection and you're waiting to go to the Q course, uh, I'm not, I can't speak to other states, but I know that Colorado 
is going to start having guys drill with ODAs prior to taking off to brag. So you're getting a full snapshot of, you know, where you're going to be working, you know, what language you're going to be speaking, you know, your MOS. And so you can start prepping well in advance of that MOS component to kind of start your career. Yeah. And you should be able to meet your potentially meet your future teammates, your future team leadership. Yeah. Uh, you're not, you're not going to get done on active duty period. You know, when I, when I signed into 10th group, you know, they had a guy show up at the reception center and I want, I went with them down 10th group and I still didn't know what team I was going to be on for another couple months. So um, having that front loaded, so to speak in the national guard is, is huge because you can be finishing up language school or something, you know, the last part of the Q course, and you already have some follow on training lined up with some advanced schools, or you've got an idea of training missions that you're going to go do with your, your ODA. So it's, it's a pretty, pretty cool uh, option there. Well, gentlemen, we just started talking about the Q course and the pipeline. So rolling right into the pipeline in, in the selection process, if I'm an individual off the streets and I want to be a part of your unit, where do I start and how's that process looking like? Yeah. So we have a, a couple different ways of doing it. If you're, if you're off the street and you're non-prior service, you're going to be likely doing an 18 x-ray or a rep 63 contract. And you're going to initially speak with a national guard recruiter to get on that, on that uh, pathway. So a guy off the street, he's going to attend basic training. And Qu then question for you. When they talk to a National Guard recruiter, can this be any National Guard recruiter in any city or any state, or does it need to be the National Guard recruiter that is assigned to your particular unit? Um, it can be any National Guard recruiter. Um, I know for Colorado, we have one specific recruiter that deals with all of the SF contracts. So if you speak to somebody else in Colorado recruiting, they will typically refer you to that individual. Um, again, I can't speak to what the other states do, but that's what we do in Colorado. Kind of continuing on there. Once you once you get done with basic training, you're going to go to infantry, uh, advanced individual training. And then following that, you will go to airborne school. And upon successful completion of airborne school, you will go to Fort Bragg and start the SF pipeline. So for 18 x-rays, the first thing they do is the SF preparation course. And that is uh, a few weeks long. And that's geared mainly around PT, uh, you know, taking care of your body and, and how to do land nav. And that's 100% geared towards helping guys get ready for selection. Um, you know, one thing about the Q course is that it's always kind of changing a little bit here and there. So what, what we'll talk about is, is the current form of it. And, you know, by the time this podcast comes out, who knows, maybe they've changed already, but, but it's, it's typically over the years has stuck to this format. So, uh, you know, the first thing really is, is selection. You know, you go to selection that right now it's about three weeks long. And once you successfully complete selection, you're going to go to the SF orientation course. And following that is when you get into your, your MOS, your specialty courses. So your 18, Charlie, Delta, Echo, you know, what have you. Um, following that, you're going to attend what they call tax skills. And tax skills uh, used to be referred to as small unit tactics. And it's it's kind of modeled around that that ranger school format. And then following that, you're going to do do SEER school. So that's the survive, survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. Um, you know, that's, that's a couple of weeks. 
Um, once you're done with that, you're going to go to the culminating exercise, which we refer to as Robin Sage. And that's where you get all of the different MOSs together. You're put on a kind of a student ODA and you're going to be given um, an unconventional warfare mission. And that takes about uh, a month to take care of. And then upon successful completion of that, you graduate, you get your green beret, your SF tab. And the only thing left at that point is to do six months of language training, or if you're high speed like Adrian and already have proficiency, you can test out of your language right there. So I also want to caveat all that with there's, there's going to be some minor variations to that timeline. Um, I know some guys, it just kind of depends on what the class sizes are and, and what situations they're dealing with at the schoolhouse. Um, you might find yourself going to Sears school prior to tax skills. Uh, you might you might find yourself doing uh, your MOS phase prior to the orientation. It just kind of depends on on uh, kind of kind of some nuances and situations down there at the at the Q course. But um, what I outlined is is kind of the the baseline uh, schedule for training in the Q course. Um, the overall timeline um, from start to finish for non-18 Delta guys, if you do not recycle anything, is, is right around two years. So that's from shipping to basic training to graduating language school. Uh, the 18 Deltas have a much longer pipeline because they go through a ton of different, different content. So those guys are gonna be looking at, you know, two and a half to three years total timeframe from when they start basic training and when they graduate. Um, you know, the important thing to note there with all that is you're going to be on a full-time order the entire time. So you're going to be, you're going to be picking up, you know, uh, you know, E3 pay or E4 pay, um, that whole time and be on a full-time order, full-time med coverage, that type of thing. That's great information, Marshall. To rewind a little bit, we were talking about this recruiter, the Colorado state recruiter that handles all of the 18 X-ray and rep 63 contracts. Once an individual starts working with this recruiter, what are the steps and the process from that point to when they ship out to basic training? So typically for like, like we were talking about 18 x-rays, they're going to have, you know, background checks. They're going to have some paperwork to fill out. They got to pass a physical. Um, they go to MEPS. They take the, they take the ASVAB tests. Um, they might do a D-LAB test, which is a, a language aptitude and then really, really from there, they, they work with the uh, MEPS, they work with the recruiter on getting a ship date and the ship dates, and, and I won't go too far down the rabbit hole, but the ship dates are really designed around or determined by how many, how many school slots are available for yeah. the state of Colorado for uh, infantry, basic training, airborne school, that type of thing. So, you know, personally for me, I did a delayed entry program. I went to MEPS in a December and then I wound up going to basic training in July. So that, that was an option for me back when I came in. And I'm pretty sure that is still an option. When my experience at the training detachment, I, I haven't seen any ship dates that were, that were longer than nine months from when the guy signed up at MEPS to when he shipped. So that's, that's kind of the, the ballpark. I like what Adrian said, like anywhere from a few weeks to a year is, is typically what you'll see as far as like flash the bang on signing on the dotted line and, and stepping foot into basic training. So Marshall, that explains the process for an individual that's going to join your unit off the street. So off the street, meaning they are not in the military or don't have prior service. What about individuals that are active duty now? So yeah, that's, that's where our SFRE comes into play. 
And what does that stand for, Marshall? Special Forces Readiness Evaluation? Is is that SFRE? Yep, 100%. We've got a that that's open to a, a variety of guys. So if if it's a prior service guy who maybe got out and and wants to come back in, um, it's for current National Guard and Reserve members. And we have started getting some current active duty guys showing up to our SFREs as well. So the whole point of the SFRE is to provide these guys with an opportunity to be tested on metrics that we have determined show a likelihood of success at selection. These guys typically won't have the opportunity of the 18 x-rays to go through the SFPC, the prep course. So in the past, these guys have, have taken it upon themselves to either find a mentor or uh, you know just do a lot of a lot of self-help with getting ready for selection. They haven't had had the guidance. And, and what we do in the guard is, is we provide that for them. So we give them, give them somewhere to get to start on our, on our SFRE weekends. And then, you know, that's three days. So it's not very long. It's not like they're going to go from zero to hero in three days, but it's going to give them a snapshot of where they're at physically. And, and we give them a lot of, a lot of tools that they can use throughout the, the rest of their month that they're not at drill that they can use to improve themselves and, and kind of prep for the next event, whether it's another SFRE or uh, you know, going to selection. Uh, what we do at SFRE um, is, is we do you know, physical tests to measure how guys are performing. We've got a variety of classes, you know, foot care, rough packing. Um, we do a lot of land nav training and, and we do get guys involved in some team events just to kind of test their metal. That's that's what we do for guys that, are, that have already kind of been in the military, been exposed to the military. You know, they've, they've got a bit of a background that we can build on. What kind of shape physically and mentally are you looking for in the individuals that attend SFRE? We're looking for somebody that has a good balance of strength and endurance. I would say one of the most uh, deceptive things for guys who come through is not having put enough time in to running and rucking, getting weight on your back, um, spending time on your feet. We get athletes from all walks of life, different sports, CrossFitters. Uh, and the one, there's just really two equalizers when you come to an SFRE in Colorado. Number one is the altitude that if you're not used to training up here in the mountains, it'll break you off really, really quickly and humble you. And second is don't overlook that endurance component. There's no shortage of good running programs, you know, mountaineering, hiking programs out there, but definitely put time in on your feet. In terms of mental shape, you know, I'll, I'll say this, having helped run the SFREs, the cadre are going to, they're going to apply a slow burn in terms of the pressure. They're going to dig and try to find every deficit in your mental preparation and your character. Guys will notice that they're under the microscope. They'll feel uh, like they're being singled out. Sometimes it's because cadre have sensed a little bit of weakness and now they want to see how much further they can push this person to see if they have a fortitude to stay in it. Other times they may see something that they like. They may see traits of leadership, of, um, of presence, and now we want to see how how deep does that go? Is it surface level? Is your leadership, you know, only present when you're not fatigued? Or if we pry, if we apply a little bit more physical stress, do you crumble? So I would tell all of the young guys that are coming through: don't self-select. 
have the mental fortitude to weather any storm, whether it's physical, psychological, verbal, you know, anything that we're throwing at you. Adrian, you brought up character. Would you mind elaborating a little bit more on the quiet professional personality type that y'all are looking for? Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, we live in an age of constant connectivity, uh, an age where the, the biggest the biggest currency is clout, views on social media, uh, followers, and guys are coming into a community where their actions alone and what they can do for the guy that they're left and right are the most important things. What's amazing about the SFRE is how uh, it is. It has been so finely tuned to give good snapshots about what kind of a character a candidate has. You know, is this is this guy out for himself? Is he selfish? Is he checking all the boxes that he thinks we want him to check? We get physical studs that don't make it. Guys who are you know first on all of the physical events, but there's huge character deficits in how they uh, how they lead, how they interact with teammates. Uh, so it really it really can't be overlooked. We're looking for people that are quietly trudging away, quietly working towards a goal and entering into an arena where there's no fanfare, there are no lights, <laughs> there's no uh, ESPN special when you actually uh, have a victory. While that might not seem appealing to you know the vast majority of society, the caliber of person that enters into this career understands just how, how profound that actually is. Yeah, it's it's people who are who are focused on a task at hand. They're not focused on the glory it's going to bring them. They just get they get satisfaction out of doing a good job and taking care of the dudes to the left or the right. They don't really care if they make the news. They don't care if they get ribbons on their chest. They just want to get the job done and get it get it done better than anybody else. You're looking for great teammates, and essentially, you have to be a great teammate. You have to be somebody who gets along with others when your primary mission set is to deploy to foreign countries and work with partner forces and communicate with them and work together, right? So getting back into the SFRE, would you guys mind talking about the content of it a little bit more? What's the timeline, the structure, the events and, and whatnot? Yeah, for sure. Um, so for us in Colorado, uh, we run a three-phased approach and we refer to those as the red phase, uh, amber phase and green phase. And each one of them has their own POI involved. So the red phase is our initial look at a, at a candidate. And that's really geared around the team events and assessing their, their mental and physical toughness. You're going to see team events. You're going to see physical stressors. You're going to see mental stressors. And at the end of that, you're going to, you're going to know something more about yourself so for Amber phase, that's where we take those guys who have successfully passed red phase and we build on that by teaching them, you know, from crawl, walk, run all the way through land nav. And we have a really good training area for that. Um, if there's, you know, listeners that are, that are military right now, I mean, people know how hard it is to find a good land nav training area and, you know, being, being in the foothills of the Rocky mountains, we've got a really good spot to do that. Um, we have really good cadre that have a lot of experience with land nav and we've got a really good POI and, and kind of why I'm, I'm preaching on that a little bit more is, is because that's one of the biggest attritters out of selection is, is land nav. You know, uh, one of the reasons they do that is, uh, land nav is, is kind of a, a universal way of, of testing someone's, uh, maturity, their physical toughness, 
the, uh, the ability to operate on their own, um, operate in the dark all alone. Uh, you know, for some guys walking around the woods at night um, is, is very frightening. And, you know, we don't want that on our teams. So lane is a great way to, to filter out guys that we might not necessarily want on an NBA. So that's a really big focus of ours is making sure guys have a good base level knowledge of, of land nav before they go out to selection. And then for the green phase, those individuals are guys that have successfully passed SFAS and they're getting ready to, to go to the Q course. And our instruction for the green phase really is geared around each candidate. So, you know, for example, you know, we've got guys who are going to be 18 Bravos and, you know, we'll, we'll spend more time with them on small unit tactics, um, how to employ, how to employ claymores, uh, you might teach them some different weapons stuff, um, you know, things of that nature. And then uh, one of the other recent guys we had come through, he's going to be an 18 Delta. So we got him spun up on, on some medical tasks, uh, you know, given IVs, uh, dressing wounds, that sort of stuff. So, so green phase, just to sum up, is, is really geared around each candidate and it's going to be uh, centered around what they're going to be doing in the Q course. That's awesome. It's almost like an introductory level um, application of skills so that whenever they get to the Q course, it's not the first time they've seen some of this stuff. Exactly. I mean, we want to get these guys in student mode. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's being in student mode is, is totally different than being in, in regular work mode. You, know, you gotta be, you gotta be focused. You gotta have attention to detail. Um, you gotta be, there's, there's a little bit of gamesmanship to, to any type of military school and you gotta be, you gotta be in the right mindset for that. And that's, that's one of our focuses is just getting people ready to, ready to do that for a couple of years. Right. And to caveat on the land nav piece, land nav also tests your overall situational awareness. And the more we get into the future, the more we are reliant on technology to serve our basic needs. And every one of us have a cell phone. Almost every one of us have a cell phone that has navigational capability. So I remember when I was a kid, when you tried to vector somebody in, keyword vector, so you're communicating with them, you're explaining to them how to, to get to your location, the way that you vectored them in is by describing it to them, using points of reference, using measurements of distance, time. And so you just naturally gained experience as a kid growing up telling people, hey, I live off of Broad Street. You take your second right after that big oak tree. It's called Fairmount Boulevard. And then on the third house on the left, there'll be a red truck in the driveway. So the whole time somebody's driving there, they're not texting or just zoning out, thinking about something that doesn't have to do with what they're doing in the moment. They're actually engaged on navigating and using points of reference to get there. So I would like to think that the farther we get into the future, the more challenging land navigation is going to be. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think you brought up some stuff that would take a whole other podcast to unpack for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's something that we're seeing, you know, at, at risk of sounding like the old guy yelling at clouds. Um, you know, some some of our younger guys definitely have an adjustment to make with with picking up those skills that, you know, they didn't grow up, you know, necessarily like hanging out in the woods, hunting, doing a lot of that stuff. Um, just because there's there's more more technology available now, more ways of entertainment. Um, you know, less, less of your parents kicking you out of the house for the afternoon and, and more of just, Hey, here's, here's an iPad. Why don't you hang out with that and stop bothering me? So, 
No, you're absolutely right, though. Uh, LANAV is going to be a, a huge thing going forward for uh, for a selection me- selection metric and and just just a general life skill that people are going to have to pick up. So to sum things up a little bit for our listeners out there, when it comes to National Guard Special Forces, particularly the Unit 519 Special Forces Group in Colorado, if you want to be a part of that unit, you actually can pick that unit, talk to a recruiter that's associated with that unit, try out for that unit if you're already in the military. If you're a civilian off the street, you'll go through that recruitment process, delayed entry, PFT, all of that. Then you ship out, go to basic training, go through your entire pipeline. If you're active duty or prior service, you'll go through that pipeline. And then you get to pick your MOS after successfully graduating and getting selected after special force assessment selection. And then throughout that process, when you go back to your unit in between courses, your unit being 519 special forces group is going to prep you and give you skills. I mean, to me, guys, that sounds like a no brainer. Sounds like a pretty awesome option. Yeah, I mean, we certainly think it is. Um, <laughs> definitely affords you a lot of uh, a lot of options, right? In life, that's that's what it's all about: having as many options as possible. You can be as busy in Guard Special Forces uh, as you want to be. We've got guys that jump from school opportunity to active duty orders to combat deployments to J sets uh, at a tempo that would rival some of the top units you know, on the active duty side, they're super busy. Right. And this is, this is after the pipeline. Right. And so once you enlist and you're in the pipeline, you're looking at years of being full-time anyway. Right. Right. Exactly. It, it really is the, the guard pretty much is a choose your own adventure. You can volunteer for every single, for every single trip, every single school that comes up. Uh, if you've got a civilian career that supports you being gone and you kind of have that flexibility, um, not only are you making a good living on the civilian side, but you're busy nonstop with your team. By the same token, uh, you don't get to slow down on the active side. You know, if you've got a, a family or you need to kind of press pause and, and dial things back, um, you can turn the volume down on ODA life, you know, for one, three, six months, a year, whatever it is, and then ramp it right back up. Like we said, it, it really is. It's all about having options in life. And let's say an individual spends their two years in the pipeline, they do six months of upgrade training and pre-deployment training, uh, do a six-month deployment, come back, do some post-deployment stuff. At that point, they've, they've been in the Army for almost four years. You're looking at, at three and a half years, roughly. Let's say that at the four-year mark, the unit says, okay, man, your active duty full-time tour is up. Now you're going to be on part-time status. At that point, what kind of options does that individual have? Yeah. So there's, like he was saying, it's a choose your own adventure book in a sense. Uh, as long as you are taking care of yourself and then, and you are physically fit, you are squared away and you're valued, value added member of the unit, you know, you will have the opportunity to go to other schools, you know, advanced training. Um, you also in the guard have the ability of going from state to state. So, for example, uh, one of the guys in the past, uh, one of my friends, he was in Colorado Guard and he moved to a different state. He went on a six-month deployment with them, and that was not including all the train-up involved. So he was he was with them for about a year, and then he moved back to Colorado and went on a deployment with us. So 
you know, it might, it might not stop if you don't want it to. Um, you, like I said, you got advanced training you can go to, you might have the option of applying for an AGR job, which is active guard reserve. Um, the AGRs, uh, run the day-to-day operations, uh, during the week and make sure training's laid on drills set up. Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the behind the, behind the scenes things. Sometimes there's a need for more full-time people. So there's there's tempor- temporary full-time orders people can get put on. Um, there's just a wide variety of things you can do. Um, if you don't want to go part-time after you've you've done a deployment, we've had guys even go on active duty. You know, they'll they'll go from the National Guard to active duty. So really it's it's what you make of it. You know, the part-time thing, as far as the schedule goes there, you know, we've got, you know, our, our drills, you know, we drill eight or nine times a year on the weekends. You know, those drills are geared toward whatever the next mission is. So if you've got, you know, if you really want to take a breather after that long time you've been on, you know, it's, it's not like Adrian said, you can kind of turn the volume down a little bit. You know, you don't have to volunteer for as many things. You just got to show up for those drills, you know, the, that, uh, you know, a few days a year, I think, it's uh, 24 days, 24 days a year of drill time and uh, two weeks during an annual training period. So, you know, about about 10 percent of your your uh, days of the year, you're required to show up to the guard. So that's a lot of time away from the guard that you can be focusing on, you know, whatever, you know, whether it's a civilian career, a side hustle, you know, you got big family change, a big move. There's there's a lot of options for you. And for listeners out there, there's a lot of educational options too. There seems to be a a good amount of individuals that have their bachelor's degree nowadays before they enlist into special operations jobs. However, there's still a lot that don't. And even if you do already have your bachelor's, my personal experience going through the PJ pipeline and learning skills like skydiving, mountaineering, scuba diving, shooting, medicine tactics, those types of things and being exposed to those skills will change you in your desires and your interests. And then when you do your first deployment, the experiences that you will have on those missions will change some of the way you think and your desires and things that you want to do. So with that being said, you could be a completely different person to some extent after you've gone through your journey versus before you started your journey. So utilizing something like the post 9-11 GI Bill to go get a degree in biochemistry because you're in 18 Delta with a deployment under your belt and you want to be a doctor now, that might be a great option. I have a buddy who is a National Guard. He's, he's a National Guard Green Beret, and he went from being an 18 Delta to a doctor. And that process is a little bit complicating, but it's a fast track process that the army offers. And now he's a captain. He still wears his green beret and he's the team doc. So that's just one of of many opportunities out there. Uh, I know other green berets that are national guard um, that are full-time FBI agents and they work part-time as green berets. They deploy once every couple of years and still make it happen. They're still part of the community. Yeah, I think I think to expand on that, I mean, like you're saying, the the National Guard and the civilian career path, they kind of feed each other in a sense. You know, you've got uh, a lot of experience you're going to gain on the National Guard side that is very marketable on the civilian side. So what I love seeing is when our our team guys will leverage their National Guard experience to gain civilian employment that also gives back to their National Guard time. So 
like you were saying, you know, FBI agents. So if you've got a guy who's, you know, an 18 Bravo or whatever, you know, he's, he's doing all that stuff on the team that gets him in the door to the FBI. And then now he's learning things about, you know, analyzing, you know, networks, um, you know, possibly, uh, you know, local, I know one of our guys is a local uh, police department detective. So there's, there's skills that they're going to be practicing on the civilian side, you know, day in, day out that they can bring back to their ODAs. Um, you know, another, another one I love using when I talk to guys is, is one of my friends is a intelligence analyst on the civilian side. And he's also an 18 Fox on the ODA. So for him, he is constantly practicing those skills. And, and in some cases, he's even doing intel work in a country that we might be deploying to on the civilian side. So he almost has a leg up on, on his active duty counterparts because he's practicing it day in and day out. And he's bringing that, that knowledge and experience right back to the ODA. So it, it really, they kind of complement each other um, in a sense. And that's not something you're going to get on the active duty side. Um, the active duty side, yeah, they're, they're training nonstop. They might have missions going uh, nonstop, but they, they don't necessarily have the ability of gaining those, those different life experiences that National Guard soldiers are going to have by, by being able to incorporate their military experience and their civilian experience together. On the topic of deployments and missions, Adrian mentioned the term AO earlier. For our listeners out there, that's area of operations. And to my understanding, each special forces group has designated AOs. So how does that work with your unit? So for us specifically, we've got a 10th group right down the street from us. So we are typically aligned with what they're doing. Um, and, you know, if you get on any of the, you know, the army recruiting sites, you can kind of read about what each, each group does, um, where they're located, what they do. Uh, 10th group really focuses a lot on, on Europe. So anytime we're, we're looking at, uh, you know, future, future training, future missions, we kind of keep that in mind. So 10th group is up at Fort Carson. So I would assume you guys do a, a lot of work together, training, deployments, everything. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of, a lot of training opportunities down there. Um, a lot of training opportunities, uh, with those guys, we work, work with them every day, uh, in down at, down at our line company. Cause we're actually located, uh, down there on Carson for, uh, for some of our guys. So definitely a good relationship to have. It keeps us fresh on, on what the latest and greatest stuff is that active duty seeing and then and then kind of vice versa as well. So gentlemen, can you tell us anything about what your latest deployments are looking like? Obviously, there's a lot of classified work that goes on on your deployments, but what is doing the job of a 519 Special Forces Group operator looking like nowadays? A lot of the previous deployments that, that our company has done have all been right in line with what uh, an active duty group was doing. So we'll send either full ODAs, uh, sometimes a full company into the same area of operations that an active duty team is. Um, so, you know, the recent ones that I've been on were in Afghanistan. So is this like a rotation, Marshall? Like like there's a, a constant ro deployment rotation where this team is in this location for a certain amount of time. And then the next team comes to that location and relieves that unit. Is that what you're referring to? Uh, yeah. So that's combat rotation. So, you know, hypothetically you've got, you know, the group, a group from North Carolina is currently deployed and then you send the group from Florida to replace them. And it's just kind of a rotation. One unit replaces the next. That's, that's what I was getting at there. So you guys are right in there in that, in that rotation, even though you're national guard. Exactly. The the operational tempo is going to be different. Um, we have a longer dwell time, and that's that's the amount of time that you spend, 
not deployed compared to deployed. So that's going to be greater for us on the National Guard side than than the active duty side. Awesome. And what are some of the the missions looking like and the skill sets that you guys are, are are really utilizing downrange right now? Yeah. So some of the future stuff I'm not going to get into too much because um, that's a constantly evolving thing. And you know, past stuff it's it's really just been the the global war on terror type stuff. You know, a lot of a lot of counterterrorism, counterinsurgency, direct action. Um, you know, a lot of those those core missions that that SF has. Um, outside of that, you know, we do a lot of uh, exchange training with other other nations, and that that's some stuff where you know you you send an ODA to another country to work with their military. That's that has uh, you know goals and objectives that are that are more at the strategic level that maybe the guys on the ODA don't see that that help um, you know help help build relationships at, at the national level between between the nations. So a lot of a lot of the the foreign internal defense stuff with working working with other other militaries and training with them um, in combat locations like Afghanistan and Iraq, you know that's that's been a big focus that's that's been going away. So right now we're really just kind of shifting to the next fight, which um, you know again that's a constantly evolving thing, as as you see on the news. So gentlemen, this is an incredible opportunity. If I'm a listener out there and I want to start taking steps in this direction, where do I start? Uh, I would say start by reaching out to us. Um, we put a lot of uh, time and effort into uh, outreach for guys that are currently serving, guys that are coming in off the street. And the best place to start would be, you know, get in touch with us on social media. We've got the uh, Instagram 519SFG and we've got all of our, you know, points of contact, cell phones, emails on there. Um as well as a website that we're going to be launching soon with pretty much everything we've covered in this podcast uh, as a one-stop shop for guys that need information. But yeah, definitely uh, start there with social media and um, you know, you got active duty operational, or sorry, you got operational green berets running that page and uh, we'll get back to everybody. Roger, reach out to these gentlemen, 519SFG on Instagram. If you want more information or are ready to start your process, well, I sure am looking forward to getting out there, gentlemen, and crushing it with you. Marshall, Adrian, thank you so much for joining us on the Send Me podcast. Hey, thanks for having us, Jason. Thanks, man. Thanks again for listening to SOCOM Athletes Podcast. Send Me, this is your host, Jason. Please don't go anywhere. We're asking for your support. If you're listening on the Apple podcast platform, please consider giving us five stars if you enjoy the podcast and a written review as this helps us get our name out there and gives our podcast more visibility. If you're training for a career in special operations, don't miss our upcoming Hell Day event in Denver, Colorado on October 22nd, open to any and all ages 16 plus that are desiring a career in U.S. special operations. After that, we'll be in San Clemente, California where Mr. Kevin himself will be coming out as an instructor. That'll be on November 19th. We have the honor of yet again utilizing the basic reconnaissance course facilities over at Camp Pendleton, California. Thank you again for tuning in to SOCOM Athletes Podcast. Send me. This is your host, Jason. We are out. Thank you. Up. Up. Down. Boy.